Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. As Russians of fighting age flee to avoid conscription, much of the world is still trying to put enough pressure on Russia to stop the war. Here's Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on CBS Face the Nation speaking through a translator. They do not want any dialogue. We see referenda, we see mobilization that's emphasizing their will. The United Nations General Assembly meeting could have been a place to make progress, but there's been no significant movement. So what can the UN do at this point? To explore that question, we're joined by Ona Hathaway. She's a law professor at Yale who used to work with the Department of Defense. Ona Hathaway is on the line from Paris. Good morning. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So let's start with that question. What meaningful action could the United Nations take to put pressure on Russia or to stop Russia's war on Ukraine? Well, the United Nations took a first important step back in March, shortly after the invasion, when it voted to deplore Russian aggression uh, and uh, voted 141 members of the United Nations uh, against uh, the invasion um, and only five members voting with Russia to oppose the General Assembly resolution. Uh, the International Court of Justice, which is a body of the United Nations, has also ordered Russia to suspend its military operations. And there have been a number of other important symbolic moves uh, suspending Russia, for instance, from the Human Rights Council. But it is important to note that because Russia is a member of the Security Council, it's one of the permanent five members of the Security Council, that limits what the United Nations can do in terms of enforcement action. So it can't, for instance, uh, order military invasion. Um, and there are a number of other um, enforcement measures that ordinarily the UN would have at its disposal that it can't uh, with regard to a Security Council member. So it sounds like a lot of the moves are symbolic. So really, what type of pressure can actually come to play and what type of accountability could come to play for Russia? Well, symbol, symbolism matters. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to remember that these denunciations of the war and declarations of the war as acts of aggression help set the stage for really important enforcement actions that followed by individual states. So it helped legitimate uh, the unprecedented global sanctions against Russia and the really, truly unprecedented um, marshalling of resources to support Ukraine in opposing the war of aggression by Russia. So while it's symbolic, um, that symbolism really matters because it enables states and companies um, and others to respond to Russian aggression and to recognize that the world sees it as aggression. It's not just individual states that are deploring it, but the institution as a whole. Now, the world has seen evidence of atrocities in areas that the Ukrainian military took back from Russia. Bodies in the streets, mass graves discovered, accusations of mass rape. But now Ukraine nor Russia are parties, state parties to the Rome Statute that established the International Criminal Court. So what type or what path to accountability could there be for these alleged crimes? Well, there's already investigations underway by the International Criminal Court. And as you said, Ukraine and Russia are not state parties to the Rome Statute, but 
Ukraine, uh, back in uh, 2014, agreed to the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. And so that does give the International Criminal Court jurisdiction over war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide that have been committed in Ukraine mm -hmm. since 2014. And so um, there is already significant investigations. I would expect that there will be prosecutions at the International Criminal Court. Those wheels turn slowly, uh, but they do turn. And there will be, I expect, trials taking place in the International Criminal Court. Um, in addition, the Ukrainian courts themselves have been already uh, beginning trials for war crimes. So, uh, so we have international accountability, but we also have accountability in Ukraine. Professor Ona Hathaway of Yale University, thank you so much for joining us and exploring that question with us. Thank you for having me. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor Betterment. The emotional build of a will-they-won't-they-love story is never chill, but your investing portfolio should be. Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Their automated technology and tax-smart tools are easy to set up, so you can focus on navigating any will-they-won't-they-love stories that come your way. Betterment. Be invested and totally chill. Learn more at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. <laughs> 